Hello, and welcome to the Road from Emmaus podcast. I'm Jason Lowe, joined by Andrew Chow, and we are two totally ordinary Catholic guys hoping to share our journeys. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we've each encountered Christ in our lives. Join us as we talk about what comes next. We did it! In today's episode, we bring on our first ever guest, Father Raphael Ma. We tackle a heavier topic with him as we dive into questions about grief and suffering. Why does God allow suffering into this world? What is the teaching of redemptive suffering? How do we approach grief with someone who is or isn't Catholic? Before unpacking these questions, Father Raf shares his own experiences with grief. From the perspective of someone who regularly ministers to those who grieve, but also as someone who's gone through his own fair share. It's a pretty packed episode, so fair warning that it's a little longer than usual, but we hope you enjoy it all the same. P.S. Father Raph wanted us to note that he gets some math wrong today, which seems to be a recurring theme on this podcast going back to our second episode. So Andrew, you know I'm a big podcast guy. Um, Like I said in our last episode, I, I had to give up listening to podcasts during work, essentially. Yeah, And if there's one thing I've noticed, it's that every podcast that kind of gets to the next level is a podcast that has a guest. <laughs> so we are incredibly excited to welcome on our first or second, depending on how you look at it, our, our first human guest, uh, Father Rafael Ma. In case you're wondering what I meant by that, if you if you go back a few episodes, our, our very first actual guest, as Father Raf uh, reminded us, was actually Peter the Spider. Uh, in my room, but I'm sure no one actually cares about that particular guest. <laughs> everyone particular, everyone cares about this particular guest. So, Father Raf, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining thank us. Thank you, thank you, Th- thank you for uh, elevating our podcast, Father. Hey, I mean, this is, a, this is my first time getting a podcast, so thanks for giving me the opportunity. <laughs> we feel a lot better about about this this whole experience now. Um, yeah, so so Father Raf, I mean, you are one of our most faithful listeners for some reason. I, I don't know why, but we are very, very <laughs> grateful to not just have you listen. Um, we've known you for a couple of years now, I think. Just, um, you know, you you came to GT 2019, and since then we've kind of, both, both Andrew and I have been able to um, establish a friendship with you. And it's really cool just to be able to have the insight that you have been giving us individually. And then finally we just reached out to you and... We were like, would you be interested in joining our pod? And you decided to say yes. So thanks again. Um, So I I guess today we wanted to kind of talk about kind of a heavier topic than usual, a heavier topic than um, Andrew and I usually go into. And um, it's something that I think you might have a lot of experience with, Father Raph. And this whole topic is just grief and suffering and and kind of the whole Catholic spin and Catholic approach towards how to handle that that kind of a topic. so before we actually dive into the whole, you know, what is it or like, what does the Catholic Church say about grief and, and all of those things? Um, let's try to start from a bit of a lighter approach and, and just kind of go from your own personal experiences. So as as a priest, you've been a priest for like two or three years now? I think oh, it was about two No, years. we're coming Almost up to two, two years. years. Almost two years. I was ordained in uh, June, June 15th, 2019. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So almost there. Um, so within, you know, your year plus almost two years of experience, I like, you know, from my understanding, you've had quite a bit of experience in terms of, you know, dealing with people who are going through grief. Can you kind of um, tell us about what exactly it is that you do in that particular space? Sure. Um, 
something we're told in seminary, uh, repeated ad nauseum, is you are not a therapist. You're not a therapist. <laughs> refer. You're not a therapist. Refer. Okay. 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 Um, and that's true. Um, the main things I think, you know, um, priest kind of sh- comes into the grieving process with the funeral or whatever it is that family wants to do. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's kind of, um, I find out a funeral home calls um, and then I get try to get the family's contact information and then I have a kind of a family meeting. Right now with COVID, it's not usually possible yeah. to do in person, but um, so it's on the phone, uh, it's on Zoom and I find that, I, so from my own experience, and I, I guess we might get into this later, but uh, so I lost my own mother actually um, in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost my grandfather recently, uh, when my mom's dad, and I lost my maternal grandmother in 2017. So my, my paternal, so my dad's mom. Mm-hmm. Um, those are probably the, the two closest ones, my, my paternal grandmother and my mom, because my, my dad's parents actually lived in my house growing up. Anyways, and so in both situations, from my experience of being going through the funeral planning process, I found it personally really helpful when the priest asked our family, like, you know, tell me about this person. Because most of the time, priests actually don't know the person you're doing the funeral for. Of course. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you do, it is, it's kind of special. Like um, a funeral actually I just had on, on uh, Saturday night, uh, mm-hmm. which is a weird time for funerals. But um, I remember when I went to the visitation, they wanted the prayers before the visitation. So I did prayers i went to you know pray at the casket and what kind of came from my heart i didn't say it out loud but i was like goodbye friend like i just mm-hmm. you know um, that's not always the case and that's okay um, because sometimes it's i'm there to help people through their grief but sometimes i'm also grieving as well you know it's mm-hmm. just, so i guess we'll start with like what does the priest do so yeah that i think for me personally that family meeting is important I think it's good to, for people to be able to tell stories and it's good for the priest because hopefully your, your home will be somewhat relevant. Uh, and as, yeah. as we all know, there's there's no eulogies uh, at a Catholic funeral mass. Mm-hmm. You know, outside of that, there's room in the ritual for uh, it says words of remembrance if it's not a mass. Right? Um, but people kind of expect that. But to be honest, as long as you mention the person's name during the homily, people are usually happy. Right. And and I try to go more than that. You know, my, my general approach to homily is, you know, like, what's the, co- the context that we're in? And, like, how does the Word of God interpret our context, right? And so I try to listen for something uh, in the stories of telling of this person's life, and I try to see how it can tell something about how God loved this person or how God loves us or both, right? So mm-hmm. that's that uh, family meeting. Um, then it's also just sometimes <laughs> managing the drama. Sometimes... Uh, I see. You get a bit of that, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes, because sometimes a family has to come together for the funeral assembly. Right. And people who are not normally talking and people who try to avoid each other now have to work mm. together. And so sometimes you might have to feel like someone says something, they won't talk to each other, but they want to, they want you to, <laughs> they want you basically to referee their family disputes, right? Uh, and to, and to be sensitive to, you know, the people are grieving. You know. And that, that I think is uh, ministering to people's grief as well to help them through that, you know, and, and not, not to, not to be demanding, to be flexible, because it's a, you know, a very vulnerable time. Mm-hmm. And then there's a the funeral itself. Uh, I think that uh, as wonderful as it is to have you know, a nice homily or even people sharing words of remembrance, there is something beautiful about ritual. Like Humans can enter into something when it's 
familiar. And if everything is new, it's hard to get into that. But sometimes, like a lot of people, you know, like most funerals, I think, you know, Songs of the Angels, right? It's sung at the, when the inc- casket's being incensed or the, the cremated remains. Mm-hmm. And in, in a funeral home, we don't generally do the incense. I think you can if you want. Um, I've done it before at request. <laughs> but uh, holy water, uh, you do sprinkle the, the casket or the cremated remains yeah. with holy water as a sign of their baptism. But I usually have the music person play Songs of the Angels at that time because it's such a familiar uh, sound and it brings... It brings, I've noticed just watching, you know, the difference between like the readings and the homily and then times when they're just music. Oh. Yeah. So, so the whole funeral thing, and sometimes, especially nowadays with our, a lot of cremations, you'll have the um, casket at the funeral and then cremation will happen after and then they'll call me again for the burial. So then the burial again is another opportunity. Right. Um, and there, I've seen some pretty creative things and I try to, again, try to personalize it. I remember... Now, this is a Catholic podcast, so I can say this, but there was, a, there was, a, there was a, a deceased lady who, every time someone visited her, like she would offer them a Shivas Regal, which is kind of whiskey. Okay? Okay. And so I said to the family, I was like, would you like to offer the, the people at the, at the burial a shot of whiskey? And they're like, can we do that, Father? I'm like, yeah, I'm a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I would have asked the same thing. I had no idea. Yeah. But the idea is it's something kind of like a personal touch there, and, and I think people can appreciate that. Another beautiful thing I, I had a, um, again, so there's a cremation and then the family got together again for the burial and uh, an urn vault. So, you know, like when they put a casket in the ground, there's usually like a, a vault. So, yeah. so you can have a urn vault. Otherwise, it's just they keep it in a bag and they put it in the ground. And anyways, an, an urn vault, this one was metal and they brought these items. They said, you know, can we like, like the cottage was a really special place. So we brought like some sand and some rocks from the beach and like, you know, we thought like everyone could put a little bit in and I'm like, Whatever, fine. Mm-hmm. But then I saw there was a like a large bottle of like hand moisturizer. I'm thinking like, what? Is this? <laughs> like, I mean, they hey. have a big affinity for hand moisturizer. <laughs> Anyways, this is really neat. So um, they put it on the outside of the urn vault, and then everyone put their handprints on it. Mm-hmm. Huh? That's kind of cool. So, anyways, That's this cute. this That's kind cool. of thing. Um, yeah, the idea is to facilitate uh, whatever helps with people's grieving process, but Another beautiful thing is the prayers of the church. You know, they focus us on uh, the reality of God. Because we, I think, we end up talking about this. Uh, you can look at grief from a psychological and a secular point of view, but our faith does add a different dimension to it. So I would say that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the main thing. And then, um, then it's just a kind of pastoral follow up. You know, I could do a better job of this, but sometimes it's been providential. I remember I called some person for something else, and it happened to be the death anniversary of her husband. And she was mm-hmm. like, you know, Father, you don't know how much it meant to me that you call me on this day, right? And it's it's really amazing that like a simple phone call can do that. So I think that that's a really uh, important thing here because um, yeah, with the whole personal connection part, like it it can be easy to just look at this as a transactional thing, right? Like you have a funeral, you you yeah. call in a priest, and it's like, hey, let's get the funeral done and over with, and and that's it. But yeah. I think it's it's great that you bring up that it's an important part to make sure that you establish that personal connection with the family because, like, let's be honest, like. You know, you've been through it, obviously, as you just shared. Um, I recently went went through it. My my grandmother uh, passed away about six weeks ago, and you know, to I, I called me, I called in my spiritual director, who was able to um, celebrate the mass for the funeral. Okay. Um, praise God, yeah. And and you know, just to be able to know that, um, you know, I from from my side of things, from my my it was my mom's mother who passed away. From her side of things, to know that it was a priest that we have a bit of a, a personal connection with it actually makes a big difference so and it, it is comforting it as well 
and I, and I, I, don't, I don't want to leave anyone under, under any illusion. That's not always the case. Yeah. Um, we sort of priest kind of jokingly refer to it as a rent a priest funeral, but there are funerals <laughs> where people are mostly like they don't go to mass, whatever. But for whatever reason, they asked for a priest, and that is something. So I try to go to those, but sometimes it's like pulling teeth. You ask them to tell you about the person, like, well, they they were a nice person. You know, they were just really like nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. This is, this, is, this is like bringing like very different memories. So like, um, completely an aside here, but like when I went for my engagement shoot with my fiance, um, the, that the photographer like in some <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the <laughs> the photographer uh, asked, um, like asked her to tell, asked my fiance to tell the photographer about me. Like okay, so what do you like about him? And she literally said, "Like hey, he's nice," and, like, <laughs> and that's as far as we got. Like that was it. And it was like, all right, well, anyways. And, and, yeah, and again, I mean, where people are at—that's the other thing too. So uh, it's time sensitive, right? So they're usually funerals within a week of someone dying, and I end yeah. up calling like the day after. So sometimes it can be really, yeah. So it's just yeah. very recent. Yeah, 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 for sure. So. I mean, you know, we, we I think it would be fair to say that like that's very much a part of the whole priestly ministry process, right? It's you know, I do you was it fair for me to say when I when I introduced you off the top that like it feels like to me you kind of get these calls a bit more often than Yeah, so that's the other thing other too. Priests? I yeah. I um from my experience, and that's the other thing too. So this priestly ministry is what, you know, as I described, this is what priests do at funerals, but uh, any ministry, uh, any vocation really, um God called me, you know, with my circumstances and my experiences. Yeah. And when I tell the story uh, about my mom um, and like my going through the last three weeks of her life, and I say, you know what, like, she wanted to be at my ordination, and uh, she passed away before uh, yeah. even my perpetual vows, because uh, I'm in a religious community as well. And, but she honestly gave me one of the greatest gifts uh, in terms of ministry. Like, we do a lot of uh, sort of like role play ministry, so... We, this could be another episode. Like, um, priests learn, have to seminarians have to learn how to hear confessions. So we have like practice confessions. Mm, interesting. That <laughs> and makes just sense. Like, you know, yeah, right. And as you go through them, but like it's and you try to be serious, but sometimes it's funny, right? But no amount of role play can prepare you for some of these things, you know. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and for me, it was going through that personally myself. I had just had a sense of you know what people are going through. I never ever 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 say. I know what you're going through because I don't. Yeah. Okay. Um, but just, I kind of carry that with me. And you know what, for me personally, this is kind of where we shift from like, you know, what does a priest, what can a priest do to help um, someone grieve? And this is like, what can I, you know, Father Raphael, but like, you know, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm baptized. Like I'm Raphael, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, what can I do with what God has given me through my life experiences. And actually, it's also a way for me to grieve. I, I know I've been by a lot of dying mothers' bedsides, including my yeah, own, right? Yeah, And that, in a sense, kind of, it sounds weird, but that's a comfortable place for me, you know? Okay. Um, and I think so people appreciate that. And uh, yeah, <laughs> word kind of gets around. If you have like a sensitive funeral, um, yeah, sometimes I, I, do, I do get that call. And you know, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. And sometimes I know there are, I'm not saying like there aren't other priests who get those calls, but I do know that sometimes I get a, call from the funeral and they're like we were asking for you specifically and that's like, okay you know and it's this is really just um you know a, a gift that god has given me and i'm hopefully i'm 
giving it to others. Right? For sure, for sure. And, you know, th- that's nothing to penalize other priests or anything like that. No, I think no, it's, no. like, do you think it's something to do with your personality or the way, like, maybe you put um, your, your own pastoral gifts? Like, is that, what do you think? I think it is the fruit, actually, of just yeah. of my own uh, grief journey, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I see. And this is and this is this is another thing, kind of going back to the t- subject of grief. Um, maybe if I could say this now. So, in the kind of literature, um, again, I didn't study like therapy or whatever. But in my, I did these hospital placements where I there were psychotherapy students actually were my classmates, and then we were doing the clinical stuff. Mm-hmm. And basically, on the chapter on grief that we talked about, um, there's a kind of a spectrum. Um, they talk about intuitive grievers and instrumental grievers. So the intuitive griever is the person who's just like crying, you know, or like just the, the emotions come up, right? Mm-hmm. The instrumental griever is the person who like does things to grieve. So like they just not particularly <laughs> emotional, at least not on the outside, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't just sit like, I'm, okay, now I'm going to take some time to grieve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, it's actually in the doing of things, Uh that's how the grief gets processed. And so for me, actually, a great example, like um, when I celebrate the funeral of like a mother, right? Sometimes it takes, it takes me back and I almost, I almost feel like um, right. I'm processing that, that relationship. At least so this is just my own thought. I think it is true though. I think grief is um, our side of a relationship that where we've lost something. So not always death, actually. We, we always, yeah. we generally think of, grief as something to do with death but you can grieve actually any any kind of loss it's now that the loss has happened there's like this kind of like hole and grief is a feeling of that hole i guess right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so and so for me um my experiences i think so i've sort of um yeah so it's it, for me i see my ministry to people who are grieving as part of my own grieving but I'll, i do recognize that it, it is a service to them and I, 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 I'm comfortable in this area because I yeah. entered into this area. Yeah. So. I, I think that's a good way for us to transition into like one of these points that, or a typical question here, right? Like, especially when you talk about that whole, mm-hmm. uh, I think a, a question that often comes up um, is like, why does a loving God allow these kinds of grieving situations to happen? Right. You know, like you just said it like we, when we experience grief, it's because there is a noticeable gap a noticeable hole in like mm-hmm. what was, let's say, making us feel complete right Mm -hmm. and so like maybe you know what what would you say or what do you say to people who ask those questions i I assume you get a lot oh yeah um and the first thing is that if you're with a grieving person that's actually not what you want to spend time on Mm. there i mean the, the, the answer is quite simple but the way I see it is that people ask two questions. They ask why. That's the first one everyone wants to go mm-hmm. for. You know, God gave us intellects and we should use them. You know, good, good. But asking why is about as asking about the past. And some of the things that we ask why about, we actually don't know the answer to. And we actually are not accessible. Sometimes they are. And if, if it is, and then, you know, because we learn something that we can change the future, great. That is, I think, why a lot of people ask why. But even if you found out the reason why it was happening, sometimes that doesn't change the future, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I try to engage people on that. And I say, you know what, like, and it's kind of a pastoral judgment like in the, in the moment. I said, like, I just say, like, you know, I, I don't know why. You know, like, I know why in a, in a macro sense, and I can talk about that in a second, but I don't know why. And, it, and that, that, in a sense, kind of, in a sense, gives them permission to be in the place where they don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Because what I think, but I said, you know, I don't know why, but what I do know is 
I'm, I'm, I want to be here to help you um, think about what you want to do about it now. That's different. That's about the future, right? So why is about the past? But so I, I don't know why, but we can talk about what we're going to do about it. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of my way forward. But to answer the question, Andrew, <laughs> very quickly, um, and this is something you would never say <laughs> at, at the bedside of someone. <laughs> but the truth, the truth of the matter is that, um, you know, from Revelation, we know that suffering and death enter the world through sin, mm-hmm. right? You know, in the Book of Wisdom, God did not make death, okay? Nor does, nor does he desire the destruction of the living, right? It says death enters the world through sin and the envy of the devil or something like that. And that is, so it's not like, and because the, the first thing people jump to is with the wise, what did I do to deserve this? That's the other thing. Yeah. Too, mm-hmm. right? And I'll tell you, here's a kind of personal story. <laughs> so, um, so my mom uh, died of cancer. She had struggled with cancer for five years. And before the cancer happened, shortly before it happened, I went to this uh, restaurant and uh, actually it was Addison Ramen. <laughs> 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 and uh, we were parked outside and we parked a little close. It, I'm not blaming my dad, but we parked a little bit close to the car next to us. And when I opened the door, I actually scratched it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no one saw it. And I closed it kind of and then went inside, right? So we sat down. And this lady like storms over. She's like, you scratched my car and you don't oh, even no. care. And I was like, gosh, like, lady. Oh, no. I mean, I didn't see you, right? I didn't know it was your car. Um, okay, just give me your car information. You know, we'll figure it out. Like, I'll pay what we need to pay. Okay, just give me the number. So we're sitting down with the menu. One minute later, she comes in. I just called you. You didn't answer. I was like, what? Oh, my so god. Obviously, she had an experience with someone in the past, right? I see. Anyways. So my parents very graciously took this person and the people who were with her outside and they had a sort of shouting match outside, apparently. Um, but apparently, this person's mother cursed my mom, right? Something suddenly in Chinese, and, you know, parents curse. Anyways, I remember at one point, early on my mom's um, struggle with cancer, when you, you know, the realizing, like, why did this happen to me? And she, she actually, the thing came to mind, like, was it because that woman cursed me? Like, people will believe anything just to, like, have an answer, but it's so difficult to sit in that, I don't know why, right? Yeah. But that's actually, it, because the thing is, like, that's not true. Like, that's not why it happened, right? Mm-hmm. But we're sitting in the truth when we're honest. Like, I don't know exactly why this happened to you. I don't know exactly why this happened to me. And it's from there that we encounter, or we're open to encountering God, right? So, anyways, to take it back, um, so it doesn't. It wasn't because of our. So, yeah, some some of our suffering is a result of our own actions. Like that's obvious, I think, but not all of it. That's the important thing to, to get across. But at some point, suffering and death enters the world through sin, and the reason why is because God allows free will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, like, what does God do about it? That see, rather than like, why is this happening? What do we do about it now? Mm-hmm. What did God do about it? So I was actually having this conversation with a friend about, about this the other day, and. Um, I had listened to this talk by Father Benedict Rochelle, and uh, it would think it was on the problem of suffering. And he says, in the Old Testament, the kind of the highest answer about suffering is the book of Job. And if you're familiar with the book of Job, it's basically yeah. like... Um, like, why is all this stuff happening to me, God? Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing. Job is innocent. That's that's like the key factor. Because his yeah. friends come over and they're like, no, you must have sinned, Job. Like, seriously, man. And Job's like, <laughs> no, like, I really didn't. And and that's we know that from the very beginning, the little dialogue between God and the devil. Yeah. Like, uh, you recognize it. God's like, look at Job, my righteous servant. <laughs> Do what you want. Exactly. Uh, but you, but you don't harm his life. And, um, 
But at the very end, basically, God like just takes Job on a sort of tour of like God's perspective, right? You've ever seen the movie Tree of Life? It's a I have not. Terrence Malick. It's it's a bit. He's got some artsy movies. It's a bit of a trippy movie. <laughs> but um, basically, without spo- I'm not spoiling it. Like it's this guy's kind of. It's like a modern Job story, and it's interspersed between the movie scenes. It's like scenes of creation, like. Like like dinosaurs, okay. and Big Bang, okay. whatever it's, and like the mountains forming in the clouds and stuff. Anyways, so when Job kind of gets a sense of God's perspective, he says at the end, he's like, you know, I cover my mouth and I I'm gonna keep silent. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. one thing, like just the from God's perspective, like just the, the majesty. Of, and it's true when people encounter God, like it's hard to explain, but it does change things, right? Your perspective changes, right? But that's just the Old Testament, okay? So. Like God is in control, I guess that's that's kind of we can say is the uh, kind of take home message there. Mm-hmm. But in the New Testament, God enters into our suffering. That's that's the difference, right? Yeah. And so it's not like because the way I explain it, I, when I have a high school class. This often always comes up: why does God allow suffering? Right. Um, the way I see it, God has two choices. God could make all the suffering go like that. God's omnipotent, right? You can do that, mm-hmm. or God could permit the suffering, which is a result of our choices. Again, not necessarily my personal choices, but choices collective. Yeah. Because he can bring more good out of it, right? And the truth is, and, and so, I mean, as far as I can tell, God did not make all the suffering go away. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that God chose option B, right? And I think about in my own, in my own grief journey, by examples, like in my mom's uh, cancer journey, especially the last three weeks, like, you know, People were pouring out of the woodwork to, like, you know, bring us, like, food to visit. Yeah. Just, like, like basically, suffering is a cry for love. Um, I, I actually I wanted to uh, find the actual quote for this, but I was reading uh, Stephanie Gray, you know, the pro-life speaker. Mm-hmm. Actually, she's, she's from BC, I think, Andrew. Oh, is she? And, yeah, yeah. Anyways, she has this, um, she had a post one time, and I read it, and she was quoting Salvifici Dolores, which is John Paul II's encyclical on redemptive suffering. And there's a line that says, do we not owe to suffering the love that stirs in our hearts? Okay. Do we not owe to suffering the love that stirs in our hearts? And I think from her like, article, I re- realized that you could read that two ways. You can read it as like a moral exhortation. Like when we encounter suffering, we owe it to give you know the love in our hearts yeah. to those who are suffering. Great. No, that's mm-hmm. true. That's true. That's like an ex- exhortative uh, interpretation. But you can interpret it in a causative way. So is the reason why love is stirring in our hearts not because we have encountered suffering somewhere, right? Uh, and this is really the kind of the tragedy about like, euthanasia, right? It's that yeah. suffering, God permitted suffering to bring more good out of the world. And really, in general, it's, it begins with more love. Love is the response to someone in suffering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than someone feeling more valued uh, because of their suffering, people unfortunately feel less valued. They feel like a burden of people and that's why they want to seek you know, euthanasia. So anyway, so long story short, God allows suffering, uh, as, as, as we all know, you know, it's in St. Paul's letter of the Romans, because God can bring even more good out of evil. And even what you just touched on, the whole point of how within the New Testament and very much what we now believe uh, today as Christians and Catholics is how 
God has entered into our mm-hmm. our human suffering. And you know, when you know, our listeners may have heard of the whole term of like redemptive suffering. You you mentioned it yourself. That's yep. the whole idea of what this is, where God takes the the terrible tragedies that we've gone through and he transforms that into something good, something that is love. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, because I think sometimes when people talk about redemptive suffering, we think about like what we're supposed to do, how I'm supposed to redeem oh, the suffering. Yeah, yeah. But it actually, I'm glad you pointed it out, it actually begins with, it's because of Christ that actually we can participate and make our suffering redemptive, because mm-hmm. ultimately it becomes redemptive by joining it to Christ's suffering. Like God entering into our suffering changes things. Like, uh, I'll tell you very simply, I remember going through those last, like, the, actually the final week of my mom's life and after she died. I remember um, people people often will say, like, oh, you know, like, you know, that they had a peaceful death or whatever. And I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm sorry, like, it, it didn't look like it. So at the last mm-hmm. um, moments, I mean, it was, it was very beautiful. Like, she saw the last person, she said, let people come. So they, you know, came. And if she got tired, we said to maybe wait a little bit. The last person she saw was two hours before she died. And, um, and I remember we were just kind of taking turns, keeping keeping watch by her side. And uh, I noticed her eyes, like, because she was really tired, so her eyes were closed. Her eyes just opened, like, sorry, <laughs> that hurt my eyes. Her <laughs> eyes, her eyes opened, like, right up, and she couldn't, and she didn't blink. They were just wide open. Oh. And then she opened her mouth, and it sounded like she was kind of gasping for air. Hmm. So I called. Uh, we were doing palliative care at home. That was her choice. She wanted to uh, be at home. So I called the nursing agency and I said, hey, like, I'm explaining, like, my mom, she opened her eyes, like, she seems to be gasping for breath, like, can you guys come? And they said, as soon as we can get there is in an hour. So I was like, okay. So I called my dad and I was like, dad, come up. Like, I don't know, this might, this might be it, you know? And, um, yeah. so we, we actually, it's really kind of amazing. In the last year or two of my mom's life, she just, she found this, um, Divine Mercy pamphlet that I had, like, left on a desk somewhere. Hmm. And she just took a, t- she just became devoted to, Divine Mercy and Saint Faustina, and actually her visitation was on uh, Divine her funeral. Yeah, her funeral was on Divine Mercy Sunday. It was actually oh. really beautiful. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, so we prayed that with her. Um, sorry, <laughs> I'm emotional here. I am sometimes <laughs> an intuitive griever. Um, so we were holding her hand, and we were, and then she went in the uh, third during the third decade of the chaplet. Like her hand, like if the temperature would drop, right? Mm-hmm. And I looked at her, and it did not look peaceful. And I remember the next day, so at mass. Um, church that my home parish they pray the rosary before mass and i remember praying and it was um it was a tuesday because my mom died on get this mm-hmm. monday of holy week and her mother-in-law my dad's mom also died on monday of holy week uh two years before they've died liturgically on the same day wow. so and actually so for me like i chose the reading so i picked ruth for the first reading um your people will be my people your god will be my god where you are buried i will be buried you know like sorry <laughs> okay <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna get teary myself. Yeah, it uh, it was just yeah, like. But what happened? So I remember praying, and it was um, you know the fifth sorrowful mystery. You know Jesus dies on the cross, and there's this crucifix there, and I thought like Jesus did not have a peaceful death. Okay, <laughs> and you know what? The beautiful thing is that my mom is not alone in her yeah. not peaceful death. Right, that Jesus is there with us. That and that that's what transforms the suffering that and that's what makes it redemptive actually to know that god is there and not only that god the savior god saved us by entering into ourselves so so this is something actually that like you said to me before um specifically for your community as well because this is very closely yeah. linked to the cares of your community right yeah. um talking about um the essentially 
the entirety of the human life, not only the suffering, but almost mm-hmm. in, in a sense, especially the suffering, mm-hmm. can be found in Passion Story, which which really ties well into Lent. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Sure, too. sure. Just uh, And this is not like an ad for my community. <laughs> uh, I belong to a community called the Congregation of the Resurrection, and our spirituality is focused on what's called the Paschal Mystery. So it's the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus. And if you want to include the Ascension. Okay. Um, yeah. And... It's interesting because I remember when I was discerning my vocation, I was actually a Dawson seminary before this and I entered this community. Mm-hmm. When I was discerning, I was reading um, uh, Presbyterorum Ordinis. I think that's the, no, maybe it's Autotum Totius. One of the two, I think Autotum Totius is on the training of priests. And it says something about priests need to be so um, initiated into, no, need to be living the Paschal mystery in such a way as to be enabled to, to be able to initiate the faithful into it. Because this is how we're saved. We're, 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 we're not saved by like Jesus did something for us and we're just sitting here like kind of passively receiving it. Yeah. The thing that Jesus did for us is to transform our everything, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the good that we do becomes meritorious. You know, it's yeah. done in Christ. Christ is doing that in us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the suffering that we do, uh, that, that we bear uh, when it's born with Christ is joined to his um, saving work, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so our, our entire life, um, and, and not, not just that, like, and the, uh, and the resurrection too, like, uh, that God brings new life, you know, and that's, again, like our, you think about like, like the sacraments, like, you know, baptism, right? Jesus, uh, uh, St. Paul says, do you not know that when you're baptized, you're baptized into his death, right? Yeah. But the, what you receive then is his new life, like the, the new life that Jesus had at the resurrection, because it wasn't the same as the life he had before, like when Je- right? Lazarus was raised from the dead. He was resuscitated, really, because Lazarus would have to die again. Mm-hmm. Jesus would not. Jesus has a new kind of life, and he gives that to us. And uh, Christ- yeah, you could say one way of looking at Christian life is about this world is you know, uh, subject to death and decay, and how the new life of Christ is breaking out into the world so much that you know, the, the, the saint is the person who is so alive, the only thing they have left to do in terms of completing like, the transformation is to transform death itself. By their own dying, and then their own dying completes their um, being initiated into the Passion of Christ. That's 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 so true, and I mean, I think we've talked so much about grief from a Catholic Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. This whole redemptive suffering—it's tough to be able to digest this kind of teaching if you aren't someone who believes in Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? And 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 even you know what? To be honest, there are people who do believe in Jesus, and uh, you know may not speak to them. Right. Yeah, and and just right. depending where you are, like I speaking to a, actually a dear family friend is going through a lot. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and she said, and I, I make the mistake of trying to explain sometimes. And she's like, she's like, and she calls me, she calls me Raph. And she's like, uh, Raphael, rather. Um, she, she knitted my baptismal garment so she can say that. <laughs> she's like, I know that, Raphael. I know all that. I believe all that. But it's just, it's just so hard sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not like the faith is divorced from, um, being a psychologically well-balanced human being. And that's where like the kind of the things that are more easily digestible in in a secular way that we can maybe talk about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, when it comes to someone who is struggling with the idea of a redemptive suffering or just with the idea of uniting their suffering to Christ or just someone who, who isn't familiar with the Catholic church at all, right? How do you approach grief when, when they're in that kind of a situation? I think I do it not um, didactically, like not by speaking about it, by, but by living it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
God entered into our suffering. We can enter into another person's suffering. And if God is living in us through the life of grace, um, you know, for our being Christians, God is present there, even if the person, we're not having a conversation, you know. Right. Um, and from that, sometimes that can really make a difference. Like, you know, Mother Teresa, like, you know, a lot of the great work she did actually was with people who are dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe some doctor, some of your doctor listeners can correct me about this, but a priest friend of mine told me that um, he's, he's much older than in my, my community. He says there are doctors who entered medicine because they wanted to fight death. Hmm. And when a patient is no longer curable, they kind of back off from the patient. Hmm. Um, it's, it's a struggle. Um, and so I, I think just by being there, you know, we live out, um, we live out what we believe, right? And then, and as I said, like you can show in a natural level, I mean, and everything natural is, has the potential to become supernatural, right? Mm-hmm. It's that, that um, suffering is a cry for love, right? So you go there, you spend the time with the person, and uh, yeah, like sometimes they can, through, they can process their the mixed emotions that they're going through. Yeah, I think it's just when when you think about the the, the grief that people bear or the suffering that people bear, and you know, I I have friends where you know very good Catholics and. <coughs> They don't have any issues really with understanding the idea of redemptive suffering or, or anything like that, or, you know, really offering it up to, to Christ and joining it with Christ. So on that front, they're good. But it just feels like for some of them, uh, it's just constant grief, like over and over again, you know, a friend, a friend um, is, is dealing with, you know, um, mental health issues, uh, a family member, uh, there's there's some ailment going on. And it's like every six months, every year, like for, for the duration of their full their whole life. Yeah. And in those situations where, you know, it's just over and over again, it doesn't really feel like the person is getting any kind of a break. Like how how would you say, you know, someone like me, who is very much not in those shoes at all? And mm-hmm. like, how can I kind of support that, that kind of a friend? As I said, what else comes to mind is like Job's friends. Like in the book of Job, um, mm. before his friends start doing like, are you sure you didn't do something wrong? It says they sat there with him for seven, I think seven days in silence. Um, there's a, a, a little show. There's another podcast. I don't know if you've heard like that Into the Thicket podcast. <laughs> no? no. Okay. Anyways, they did an episode on grief and someone passed it to me. And okay. uh, they, 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 they talked about this very thing. But yeah, sometimes... Um, just understanding like the, the how, how grief works. So there's a really great website called whatsyourgrief.com. I'd highly recommend okay. it. It's very readable. Um, I think it's by, by two, uh, two women who, you know, with their own experiences about it. But simple things, like sometimes just having people be there with you. Actually, I remember, um, so my grandfather, unfortunately, the one who just died recently, died of COVID. And so there were no, get, no uh, visitors allowed. And not even when he died. Uh, mm. we, had to, we, had yeah. to see, we had to view his body via Zoom. It was a bit odd. Um, and I remember after that finished, like I was, I was all kinds of emotions. I was really angry that we weren't able to visit and how this all happened. And I thought to myself, no one knows, no one here knows my grandfather just died. Mm. And no one's going to call me and no one's going to, right? And really, thanks be to God, what happened is that we have some other family friends who did know and, some, and two of them called me. And I mean, I didn't tell them at that moment, but it was really... The need to 
be to have people be there with you. So, and, and actually, this was a recent. Um, I actually, I think I've had at least three or four funerals in the past two weeks. And one of the funeral holidays, I talked about how um, grief opens up this um, hole in our life, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not a substitute, but that hole is the feeling of loneliness in some way, shape, or form. And it's not a substitute, but for, to have people to be there with you does bring some comfort. For and sure. I think, and I think that's that's kind of what I was talking about. Like you know, suffering is a cry for love. You know, doesn't matter if you believe in God. Doesn't matter if you uh, are struggling with your faith. We're all going through this, right? And so, if someone is there to go through it with you, they don't need to come up with any answers. That, that's probably the first thing I would say. It's just like mm-hmm. don't try to explain why this is happening. As I said, not why, but what are you doing this now? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes. So, and sometimes, actually, it's actually not being there with them. <laughs> sometimes people might feel like, I really just need to be alone right now. And you're like, cool. Yeah, you know? yeah for sure. Um, and you gotta, you got to ask yourself, like, here's the other question. Why am I wanting to help this person? Do I want to help this person so that I can feel okay? <laughs> or do I want to help this person because I want them to feel okay? Because sometimes yeah. what they would make them feel okay may not be what would make you feel okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have those people who want to help you, but you're like, I'm actually helping them. <laughs> <laughs> right? I guess, like, if we take that even a step further, then, right, because going down this journey as well, um, you know, the, some some people don't get that, right? They don't they don't have the people bring them love, and they just feel the mm-hmm. suffering. They they're just being like, you know, beat down over and over again, right? And for some people, you know, who maybe don't have, you know, the cat the catechesis to like learn about, you know, this redemptive suffering, or just have like have been told once by some religion, religion teacher in like grade seven and now they're like 35, you know, and it's like, that was a, a fig, uh, just like something in the rearview mirror. Right. Um, and maybe that's become a barrier for them. All this suffering has become a barrier for them to accept love. Right. It's just like the first thing that comes to mind when they see church, they're like, Oh, you know, we're told all this stuff, but they're just making it up. Right. All this suffering happens. Like how, how do we love those people? Right. How do we then try to try to come to them and say like, Hey, you know what? There is, like, that hope you think is lost, you know, like, it's still there, you know, and how do we encourage that? Yeah, and I kind of touched on this when I said just going to there to be there with these people, because um, what comes to mind is compassion, right? So I think you're all familiar, mm-hmm. uh, compassion, you break it down, as suffering with, passio, passere, to suffer, and then calm is like with, so just go and suffer with someone. Mm-hmm. What ends up happening, unless someone does tell you, like, please leave me alone, and then you just got to leave them alone, <laughs> Right. And sometimes, depending on when they say that, they may be like it may be like, please leave me alone, don't leave me alone, right? Um, what ends up happening is that you you end up witnessing your faith by choosing to be there. Um, and for me, yeah. I think I've, I've, I've often thought about this: the choosing to be there with people who you know not not an intellectually stimulating conversation or whatever. We get practice for that in adoration, actually. Because I don't know about you guys, but like when I go to adoration, like Jesus isn't usually talking to me, <laughs> like not like directly, you know. Nope. Um, but just there, just to be there with him. If you can be there with Jesus in the Eucharist, you can be there with Jesus in a suffering person. Right? Jesus says, you know, whatever you did to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Right. Um, that's kind of the answer. And and you know, it's amazing. Like when um, in the Gospels, when it says Jesus moved with compassion. The Greek word there, I don't remember exactly how to say it, but it's like it was moved from the from the guts. Like it's a real kind of like visceral kind of yeah. And compassion touch, touches people in a way that words don't. 
I think I think that's that's very true with the idea of just giving someone your presence like that in itself can be a gift. And when people, you know, uh, when people realize that you are there for them, not just again, not just transactionally, but also just, you know, you are genuinely interested for their well-being. This is this is outside of religion and faith, right? Like all, all people are craving is just that kind of um, emotional, uh, physical, mental kind of support. And I think when you're able to offer that, it, it very much already opens up the door of um, and if there's an opportunity to evangelize, they know that they can come to you for it. if they have a question about God, if they have the question of like, why does suffering exist? They know they can come to you. Not only that, though, I mean, and you can only explain this to them later on. And actually, in the beatific vision, they'll see it themselves. But actually, it's not outside of religion and faith. Fair enough. <laughs> because yeah. the reality of God is that God is a communion of persons, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And so this being together, like we're doing, we're starting to do what God is inviting us into for eternity. Right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. while, yeah, it's not, it's not like part of religion, faith in an obvious sense. If you're doing this, um, if you're doing this legitimately, it is. Right? Yes, very much so. Very much so. Definitely more so from the other person's perspective. They don't have to like necessarily pick up immediately that this is yeah. like, oh, this guy's trying to evangelize me or something. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You don't you don't want to give off that. Yeah. <laughs> it, exactly. it seems, you see, like there's like sleazy salesmen. You come in and they're like, like, hey, I heard you're grieving. You know? Just like walk in with two Bibles. Like, hello. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought you could use a footrest. You know, you put these Bibles yeah. in your foot. Yeah, right? Uh, did you guys have anything else you wanted to add on, on this topic or, or any other insight, words of wisdom? I was just actually thinking like through this, yeah. this whole thing, this whole uh, chat that it's very timely that we're talking about this as well, right? Because I think we're talking about grief in the sense of like when grief happens and like the hole that that brings to us. But to me, it, it really it parallels so well into um, the spirituality of Lent as well, right? Like in terms of the... Um, particularly the fasting, Jason, you and I talked about this, right? The the um, turning away from something of this world, almost mm-hmm. or artificially creating that hole so that we can fill it with God's love, right? It's almost like forcing that kind of um, interaction. So I think that it's it's really timely that we're talking about this now as well. I'm glad you brought like, that up. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Father Rath, go ahead. I was going to say, like, not just uh, with Lando, just like COVID, you know? Yeah. I remember earlier on, someone, I saw an article, you know, the feeling that you're feeling right now is grief. And yeah, like as I said much earlier in the episode, like grief is not just when someone dies, it's any kind of loss. And people yeah. have lost all kinds of things uh, in this pandemic. Right? And maybe some people don't even recognize that, this, that they have lost something and that they are grieving over something. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, um, you know, tying it to Lent in that way really calls to mind the idea of worldly detachment almost. Mm-hmm. We are called to... And it, like we're called to place Jesus and God above any anything else, and that includes our loved ones, right? Which is, it's it's a tough teaching. Um, we always say that the Catholic Church is full of tough teachings, but this is one of them. Where you know, how can we detach ourselves from the people that we love so much, our spouses, our our, our parents, our, our family members, um, in a way where when they pass on from this earth, like. Obviously, we have to go through grieving, but for me, at least, you know, there's there is the flip side of it, knowing that we will be reunited in heaven, right? Yeah, and that that's honestly like um, for me, the good news is that our goodbye is not forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Period. Like that for me, like that's that takes faith because we can talk about grieving and stuff like that, but that is good news. And sometimes, even if people can't believe it for themselves, they need to hear that, you know. And and for me, like that that is what makes because you know Saint Paul says, you know. Um, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. But he doesn't say we do not grieve, period. Right? Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Mm-hmm. They will be comforted. Right? So. 
Mm-hmm. All right. So I think that's going to be a yeah. wrap. I think that's, that's going to be a wrap for our, our episode today. And like like we said, you know, a bit of a heavier one, but I think we're re- like we said, we're very grateful for your words of wisdom, Father Raph. And also, I think not just not just the words of wisdom, but you know, you had mentioned that maybe you get a few more calls because of your own experiences with grief, because of how that that witness shines through. And to me, actually, which is it's a very nice summary. That's kind of redemptive suffering in the works, right? It's your own your, your exactly. own kind of exactly. grief. Exactly. And you know, now you see that these people who you minister to connect with that by God's grace. And and now you're on our podcast, which is obviously a big deal. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm famous now. <laughs> this, this, this is more suffering for you. <laughs> but that, that, that's so true. And, and you see that actually with a lot of, not just um, dying, but a lot of uh, people, like disabilities advocates, you know, they struggled with their disability and then they, it, it became yes. something life-giving for others. Yeah, yes. That's, yeah. It's, and it's always beautiful to witness yeah. that. Maybe so. I'll, I'll leave you with an image. Um, so we were, I was walking to the hospital and I don't know, I was thinking about heart, but anyways, um, wait, I think I had to go through like, like a cardiac section to get to my mom. And uh, I thought like a healthy heart circulates blood in the body, right? Mm-hmm. So it nourishes you. But a heart that's been broken is able to give blood and give life outside of itself, right? Mm-hmm. I, started, I, I remember how I came up. Uh, so it's people who were saying like, you know, our hearts are breaking for your hearts are breaking for you. I'm like, what does that even mean? And I started thinking about that, and, I, and this image came to me, and that's really true. Like, and talk about redemptive suffering, talk about call it intuitive grieving, if you want to call it that. But uh, yeah, it's you know, suffering is a cry for love, and uh, this is actually one <laughs> of Stephanie Ray's books. Um, but yeah, love unleashes life. Yeah. I was really worried when you brought that brought up that image because I like I don't I stopped studying science in grade ten. Okay. So I was like, oh no, are you going to go into like the ventricles? Or yeah, like... the, the aorta and the... <laughs> mitochondria. Anyway, uh, that's not related. <laughs> well, it's like the heart cells would have mitochondria in it. Anyway. Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> let's stop before you go too much further, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so on that note, we will stop. Um, so as usual, like... Uh, you can find us on Fountain of Love and Life as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts and on YouTube and all of, all of the other podcatchers. Uh, on the note of Fountain of Love and Life, they actually produced a, a short episode on Father Raph and, and his kind of vocation story. So you can find that if you uh, try to Google Father Raphael Ma, Fountain of Love and Life. I think it's, it's kind of the, one of the first few results. I watched it um, prior to this episode and I was like, I was actually genuinely moved uh, by kind of, you know, when you were talking about your mom. So um, go and check that out. Um, but yeah, otherwise you will hear from us uh, within a couple of weeks. And until then, hope you all have continue to have a blessed Lent. Bye, everyone. Bye. God bless.